Have you, um, you ever been someplace where you know that you're an outsider? Been someplace where you go to and you feel like maybe you don't belong in that place or, or you feel like something's going on, that you're a bit of an outsider to the situation? Um, a couple times in my life I was thinking about this week where that may have been true for my life. I think one of them was when I went for the first time to go meet Wendy's family. Um, and to go meet uh, Wendy's uh, family in New Mexico, where she's from. That's where my wife's from. And just to give you a little background on why I felt like an outsider there is because you have to understand, first of all, where I grew up and then where she grew up. So I grew up in an Italian house with four kids um, and a lot of extended family around all the time. Uh, and a lot of activity, a lot of, so make of that what you will. It's, it's noisy, we're talking over each other, apparently we're yelling at each other, Wendy tells me, I didn't say it, see it that way, but that's the way she sees it. She's always asking why we're yelling at each other, and we yell back, we're not yelling, but, um, but it's different. But when I went to visit Wendy's family, it was a little different. See, Wendy grew up uh, most of her life with just her mom and her brother, and herself in her house, and it was just the three of them. Um, And that made for a very different dynamic in the house. And so the first time I went down to visit them, we were sitting down for a meal, and someone would talk or say something, and then I would immediately jump in and say something, because that's how you have a conversation. And so they would say something, and I would jump in and say something. And, and I started to realize, because I'm not dumb, so I'm observant, I'm watching. And I started to realize something, that when they would talk to each other, that Wendy's mom might talk, and, and they would wait for her to finish speaking. And then someone else would talk. And they would wait for that person to finish speaking. And then they would talk. And I'm like, oh, Okay. So this is how this works. So I sat there all the time going, ah. okay. and, uh, and well, we got used to it. And it's not right, not wrong. It's just different, right? I mean, different people, different, different places. And, and, uh, but I felt a little bit like an outsider. I had to get, get kind of used to that. And Wendy had to do the same thing, I guess, with my family, uh, too, because for the first six months of my marriage, uh, some of my family members would ask me if Wendy talked. Um, <laughs> Because she would leave the house without saying a word. And I'm like, yes, she talks. Um, but she, now, you know, she gets in there. She'll be yelling, or talking like the rest of us. Um, but sometimes you go someplace. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've had experience of family or someplace. And you go someplace and you feel like an outsider. Another one I was thinking of, we had the opportunity to happen when we were on vacation. And uh, one of Wendy's friends, her best friend from high school, uh, moved, married a Hawaiian and moved to Hawaii after they got married. And if you're gonna have a best friend, this is the way I recommend to do it. Choose someone who's going to move to Hawaii at some point, and that is a good friend to have. Uh, Because here's what happens, all we have to do is save up for plane tickets to Hawaii, and we go over and get free housing, and and, uh, they have yet to come up here for some reason. I don't know why. When you're in Hawaii, you really don't want to leave. But anyway, it gave opportunity for us to go to Hawaii. And so when you go in, when I'm I'm there, like, and I'm on vacation, I don't know if you're like this, but I'm like this. Sometimes you go and you don't want to look like a tourist, right? I don't know, maybe I'm just just me. You don't want to look, you don't want to stand out. You're not trying, you're not trying to, you don't want to look like you don't belong there. 
So, you know, I'm there and I go and we've been there a couple times because Wendy's friend's there. So I'm, I'm not carrying the camera around, you know. I'm not wearing the fanny pack or whatever they're called. You know, I'm just like trying to fit in, trying to look, look like I belong there. And I think, you know, I got kind of dark skin. I could be Hawaiian, I think. I mean, you wouldn't know by looking at me that I'm not Hawaiian. So I think I'm doing a pretty good job of pulling this off. So I'm in a store one day there, and I'm buying something, and I don't know why I let my guard down at some point, but I'm talking to the clerk, and I'm like, yeah, well, we're not really from around here. Like, she didn't know, right? I'm like, you know, you probably think we're local, but, you know, we're from the East Coast. We're, from, we're not from around here. And she looks at me, she says, I know. I'm like, you know? I'm like, wait a second. How do you? So I had to ask her. I'm like, how do you know I'm not from around? Like, like, what? You guys don't have an accent. There's not, like, how do you know I'm not from around here? And she said, you're wearing shorts. And I'm like, yeah, I'm wearing shorts. It's 75 degrees out. She's like, that's cold. I'm like, all right. So look, it's zero at home. Apparently 75 is winter in Hawaii. And, uh, and locals don't wear shorts then, whatever. But anyway, the point is, at some places you go, you're going to feel like an outsider. And there's, all, there's always places in life where we might go, we might be a part of. And as much as we try, we're still going to feel like an outsider. This morning, the passage uh, that was read in John chapter 4 is really about someone who's an outsider. It's about someone who's an outsider to faith. It's about someone who's an outsider to society. Um, it's about someone who's an outsider um, to really the world that she lived in. Last week, uh, and I think the two accounts that we're looking at back to back, John 3 and John 4, I think the Holy Spirit under God's direction put them there side by side for a reason. Because last week we looked at Nicodemus. In fact, I heard you had a wonderful guest speaker last week. Uh, I heard Nicodemus came himself and talked to you. I heard he was pretty impressive. I didn't get a chance to see him. Um, but Nicodemus last week... Uh, in this passage, we learned that he is the religious insider. This guy, Nicodemus, he is a complete religious insider. Whatever that means, he was born into the right family. He studied at the right schools. He learned all the right books. He went to all the right classes. And, and he learned and he elevated himself to a place on a religious council that only 70 people in all of the nation of Israel sat on, and he is a complete religious insider. This morning, we're looking at someone on the other end of the spectrum, the Samaritan woman, who is a complete religious, I'm going, I can't tell, I'm on the wrong side of the stage, I don't know. The, the religious outsiders on this side of your screen, is on my screen, it's the other way. All right, so the religious outsider, she is a complete religious outsider. In fact, so much so we don't even have her name. We know Nicodemus's name, but all we know about this woman is she's a Samaritan woman. So there's Nicodemus, your religious insider, and there is your Samaritan woman. I think these are pretty good likenesses of, we had some reporters on the scene that uh, that's what they look like. So you got your religious insider and you've got your religious outsider. And I don't know where you, and we're going to talk about this, I don't know where you would put yourself on the scale, but we all probably fall on that scale someplace. 
Where some ways, either you feel like, yeah, man, I've been in church. I've been, you know, I've been born in church, raised in church. You know, I've, I've got, I know all the stuff. You ask me the questions, I've got all the right answers. You know, I'm probably on the insider. Or maybe you're on the other stage where you feel like, man, I don't even belong here. I look around this room and I'm like, this is, I am an outsider. I don't understand this. I don't know what's going on, what these people are saying. I don't know what they're singing about. And you feel like maybe you're an outsider. We all put ourselves somewhere on that scale. There's three reasons why this woman was a religious outsider. The first one is gender. She's an outsider to religion and society because of her gender. Because in the time she was living in, a couple thousand years ago, in the society she was living in, um, her gender as a woman wasn't someone who was welcomed as an insider. Certainly a part of society, a part of culture, but they weren't welcomed as an insider. There were certain places they can go and not go. In fact, religious leaders would go out of their way uh, to be careful, men, religious leaders, around women. In fact, some rabbis would say you can't even greet a woman. And then there were some rabbis that were so, took this so seriously, they were called the bruised and bloodied Pharisees. And here's why. Because whenever they would be out and see a woman, they would cover their eyes. And if you're covering your eyes when you're walking, you're going to walk into stuff. So they were called the bruised and bloodied Pharisees because they'd walk around with their eyes covered and walk into stuff. But this is such the society that they were living in that the women were uh, considered outsiders. And it was that way in Jesus' day. And yet, in the story, in the account we just read, Jesus approaches this woman. What's interesting is I know a lot of people, you know, will sometimes think, oh, Jesus is, you know, uh, demeaning to women and women are kept down. And then yet Jesus is breaking all the stereotypes of his day, is breaking all the discriminations of his day and approaching this woman and talking with her and breaking through that barrier of her being an outsider. His own disciples come to him. They come back to him uh, when they come back after going to get some lunch. His own disciples come back and it says they marveled that he was talking with a woman because it was unheard of in that day. It was unheard of in that time in society. And yet Jesus did it. She was also an outsider because of her ethnicity. We're only told that she was a Samaritan woman. Now, that means nothing to you. Uh, maybe. I can tell you she's from Samaria. You can say, well, she might as well be from New York or, or Roxbury. I don't know what that is. What's the, what's the point that she's a Samaritan woman? Well, for the first century hearers that heard that, it would have been very meaningful. And it would have almost like nails on a chalkboard to a first century Jewish person hearing that Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. Uh, they're literally, and there's, this is the most accurate use of this term, considered by the Jewish people, half-breeds. It's literally, and here's what happened. In Israelite history, when the nation broke off between the northern and the southern kingdom, at a certain point in history, each one was taken into captivity. The northern kingdom, I'm not going to take you too far down this history trail, but it's, this is how it goes. The northern kingdom in about uh, 720 BC was taken into captivity by a nation called Assyria. And when they did, they intermarried with the Assyrians. They intermarried with the Assyrians, the Jewish people and the Assyrians. The southern kingdom in about 537 BC was taken captive by a nation called Babylon. And when they were, they did not intermarry 
with the Babylonians. So when God releases both of them from captivity, brings his people back to their land, you've got people who intermarried and people who didn't intermarry. And how do you think they viewed each other? They hated each other. And the pure Jewish people of pure Jewish blood looked down on these people that intermarried who became known as the Samaritans. Samaritans were literally people who had intermarried and they were looked at as people who compromised their faith. They were looked at as people who, who, didn't, who were syncretists, who, who brought in other religions, and they were looked down upon. And so for 500 years before Jesus, these people hated each other, didn't talk to each other, went out of their way to avoid each other. It was ethnic discrimination, stereotyping, and everything. And yet Jesus goes and talks to a Samaritan woman. She is an outsider. She's an outsider. It says the, Samar- the, the Jews had nothing to do with Samaria. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman from Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. I don't know if there's anybody in your mind that's in that category. Anybody you don't go around, hang around, anybody you look down upon. I don't know who that category would be. But in their day, it was the Samaritans. And Jesus went and talked to the Samaritan woman. But she was also an outsider because of her morality. Because Jesus confronts her at one point and uh, he says, go get your husband. And you, you wonder what she's thinking in that moment. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's true. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're living with now, not your husband. And the woman is of questionable morality. We don't know all that went on there. But here's the thing. She is at the well getting water, Scripture says, at the sixth hour. The sixth hour would be right about the middle of the day in the heat of the day. Nobody goes to the well at the sixth hour. There's two reasons why you go. Everyone, there's two reasons why you don't go to the well in the middle of the day. One is because it's the heat of the day. And carrying large jugs of water, you'd rather do it in the cool of the morning than the heat of the day. So everybody came to the well in the morning. Everybody would come to get their water in the morning. The second reason is because you need the water for all of your daily routine. You need the water to cook. You need the water to wash your clothes. You need the water to wash yourselves and hygiene. So you need water in the morning. So everybody goes to the well in the morning, except this woman, except for someone who wants to go to the well when no one else is there because she's an outsider, not only from the Jewish people, she's an outsider from the Samaritans. Because how many times did she try and go to the well and got ridiculed or made fun of or heard the whisperings or that's the woman. You know who she's living with now? How many husbands is it now? How many times? And at some point, I guess she just said, forget it. I'm not going to the well in the morning anymore. I'll show up in the afternoon when nobody is there. And you have this woman who's a complete outsider, gender, ethnicity, and morality. And you've got these two people, 
Nicodemus, John chapter 3, and the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4. And they're put side by side to contrast them to one another. And there's other contrasts too. Yes, one's an insider, one's an outsider. One's a man, one's a woman. One goes to Jesus in the middle of the night. Jesus goes to the other in the middle of the day. One is a, a pure Jew, one's a Samaritan. They have these contrasts there. And as if God has put these stories side by side to say that this one and this one and everyone in between is welcome. This one and this one, and everyone on the scale in between, wherever you might fall, Jesus goes to. See, they have a lot of differences, but they have two things that are in common, that they have in common with each other and they have in common with us. They have a lot of differences, they're different people, but they have the same need and the same opportunity. They have the same need and the same opportunity. They have the same need for uh, restoration of a relationship with God. They both need a new life. They both need a resurrection. They both need new life within them. They both are looking for something to satisfy them. And Jesus talks to them and addresses their need. He gives two different metaphors. To Nicodemus, he gives the metaphor of being born again. To the woman at the well, he gives the metaphor of living water. And he speaks to them because they have the same need. And it's true in our world too. I caught a few minutes of the royal wedding yesterday. How many of you watched the royal wedding and are willing to admit it this morning? All right, a few. A few people. Uh, So I caught a few minutes of the royal wedding yesterday between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, who are now the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. And I had to do a lot of Wikipedia reading to find out why Meghan is not a princess. And that'll spin your head trying to figure out British royalty and why that happens. But apparently she's not a princess. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex. And one of the things that stuck out to me watching a bit of that uh, ceremony and the pageantry uh, of it was this. In our world where we often want to diminish differences... We live in a world, I think, that tries to downplay differences as much as possible. We want to eliminate classes. We want to eliminate caste. We want to eliminate, you know, differences between races, nationalities. We want to eliminate as many differences as we can. When you come to something like that of the royal wedding, you cannot but notice the differences that are not just there, but they're highlighted and really celebrated with a royal wedding. I mean, the differences between who's royalty and who's not is pretty obvious when you're watching a royal wedding. It, was, it became uh, obvious to me as I'm watching not only the people who were out in the streets, like camped out for days just to catch a glimpse, but even the people who were invited as a part of the ceremony, like really famous, really wealthy people, but still outsiders, you know, I, I watched, I saw a shot of George Clooney at one point, and George Clooney's really famous and he's really rich, but here's what occurred to me. No matter how rich and no matter how famous somebody like George Clooney gets, he can't have this. You can't buy a royal wedding. You can't buy, like, I'd like to use the crown jewels and Buckingham Palace and the castles and the churches. Like, you can't buy your way into it. 
You can't have that. There's extreme differences that are there. And they're highlighted. And yet, as we look at scriptures, I would say everybody there has the same need. Queen or subject, prince or pauper. What we have in common is that we have the same need. Religious insider, religious outsider, Nicodemus or the Samaritan woman. We have the same need. This same week at the royal wedding, I read a little blurb this week on a, a guy from Australia. His name is Roland, um, what was his name? Roland, I don't want to get it wrong, Gopal. I always want to say gospel, but it's Gopal. Roland Gopal. And he lives in Western Australia. You've heard of Roland? No one's heard of Roland, right? Of course you've not heard of Roland. Because Roland lives in a camper in Western Australia, which is technically part of the Queen's domain. They would call the Queen of England their Queen, right? Technically part of the Queen's domain. Roland lives in a camper in Western Australia on a piece of land that he keeps getting fined $50 a day for living there. And he gets fined $50 a day because he refuses to connect to city water and he refuses to put a septic system in. And so the city finds him every day and 58-year-old Roland says, I refuse to pay for living. And he says, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to pay. He says, I can't afford it. I don't want it. I'm not paying for it. So Roland lives out on his camper in Western Australia in opposition to this $50 a day fine. And here's why I bring that up because... Roland is technically a queen subject, but whether you are Roland Gopal in Western Australia or you are the queen at a royal wedding in a chartreuse dress with all your jewels, we all have the same need. And that's, that, that's what we have when we have Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman side by side, it highlights that no matter where you are on that scale, we have the same need. Whether you are at the wedding, whether you are standing in the streets trying to watch the wedding, or whether you live in the streets, whether you're watching it on television or you can't afford a television, whether you're Nicodemus or the woman, whether you're the religious insider or the outsider, we all have a need to find a way to God. We're all separated from God. And we have a need to be able to be reconnected with God. We all have the same need, prince or pauper, queen or citizen, whatever it is. We all have the same need to know God. Same thing with Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. But this is is the second point is what's important. We all have the same opportunity. We all have the same opportunity. The woman and Nicodemus were both given the same opportunity. They were both given the same opportunity. Jesus went to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. And why did he tell Nicodemus he had to be born again? Because Nicodemus was the type of guy that was going to trust in his birth. You know, I, I've been born into the right family. I'm a pure blood, not a half blood. I'm a pure blood. I've been born into the right family. I'm a priest. I'm, I'm, I can trust in my birthright. And Jesus says to him, and never says this to anyone else, and it's nowhere else in the scripture. Why does he say it to Nicodemus? Because he's trusting in his birthright. He says, you got to be born again. The first birth, that's not important. You need a second birth into the kingdom of God. Goes to the Samaritan woman, doesn't tell her she needs to be born again. She's at a well. So he uses the metaphor of water. He says, you drink this water and you're going to be thirsty again. But if you will get from me living water, 
That'll satisfy and fulfill you and you won't thirst again. Wasn't saying she'd never be physically thirsty. He was saying that deep spiritual thirst that you have to know God and be connected with God, that will be satisfied in me. Two different metaphors for two different people. I wonder what the metaphor God would use for you is. I wonder if God was talking to you and Jesus was having a conversation with you. Is there something that you put your trust in that God would have to correct and change? Like Nicodemus, I, I, got, I was born into it. I've got everything I was given to me. You gotta be born again. Or like the woman, look, we've got a well. And she was trusting in this well because it says in the passage, this is Jacob's well. We drink from Jacob's well. And what she was saying is, I'm connected to someone who is connected to God. Maybe sometimes you think that. I'm good because I'm connected to someone who is connected to God. My grandmother really knew God and she loved me and I think she's up there watching out for me. I'm connected to someone who's connected to God. This is Jacob's well and you know, Jay, we drink from it and he drank from it. Jesus says, that's not good enough. You need living water yourself. You need to be connected to God. Not good enough if your mom is or your dad is, your grandma was. You gotta be connected to God. And so what do you do? Jesus reveals himself to this woman. He says, I am he, this one you've been looking for. I think sometimes when we're confronted with that, we try and do the same thing the Samaritan woman does. We try and deny and avoid personal responsibility. We try and deny that, uh, deny the reality of the situation of what we are. We try and have confidence in our affiliations. Oh, we got Jacob's well. I'm good. You know, I've, I've gone to church all my life. My kids go to church. My wife goes to church like every week. My kids know Bible verses. You know, we put our confidence in all these things. We deny that we need it. We deny that we need to turn our lives over to God because we trust in our affiliations instead of God's revelation. We trust, ah, yeah, I sit in one of these chairs every week. That's got to count for something. Trusting in our affiliations. They're all Jacob's wells. Well, you need to drink from living water yourself. Or we try and avoid personal responsibility for where we are. The woman's conversation with Jesus may sound strange to you, but I will tell you it does not sound strange to any pastor who has had a counseling session with someone when you're confronting them on something in their lives. And so he says to her, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, that's true. You've had five and the guy you're with now is not your husband. And what's her response to that? Change the subject. Her response is, um, we worship here and the Jews worship over in Jerusalem. Where do you think we should worship? You know what? What do you think about that? She goes from an individual personal responsibility conversation and changes it to a general theological conversation about God. And maybe you've had this happen to you, but I know I've had it happen to me. <laughs> Someone comes in, you try and talk to them about something, you say, you know, um, we really need to talk about this uh, pornography problem you have. 
Well, you know, I've been reading some scriptures about the end times and, and wondering, do you think these, uh, these events in the Middle East uh, mean that Jesus is coming again soon? Like, let's not talk about me. This is getting a little too personal. I'd much rather talk about some general theological subject, and I could probably get this pastor to bite on it, and I could probably get this pastor, you know, get him thinking and talking about these other things and really forget about, you know, talking about me. And the woman does this, and I wonder if we do it sometimes too. You know, you're sitting with somebody. You know, you really know that you've got to forgive this person. You've got to let it go. You've got to stop this bitterness. Well, you know... I read in the Bible about this unpardonable sin. What do you think that is? Just try and change it from the individual and the personal to the general and the theological. Things in our lives. You know, maybe someone confronts someone saying, hey, you know, this thing is becoming an idol in your life and it's coming before God and you really need to get rid of it. Yeah, well, what do you think about the Holy Spirit? Let's talk about that for a while. Anything but my personal responsibility. Anything but my stuff. And Jesus brings her stuff right to the forefront and he confronts her on it and he offers her an invitation to let go of her affiliation and to put her trust in the revelation that he is the God that she's been looking for. And it's like that for you and for me. At some place, you're on the scale. And actually, we're, both, we're all outsiders. Nicodemus thought he was an insider. He found out he was an outsider who needed to put his trust in Jesus. The woman, well, she didn't need anyone to tell her she was an outsider. She already knew it. Everybody had been telling her all her life. But they had the same need and the same opportunity. And so do you. And so do I. Prince or pauper, queen or subject, millionaire, homeless, doesn't matter. You have the same need for God to be connected with him and the same opportunity through faith in Jesus Christ to be made right with God. And so, how do we respond? Well, if you're a Christian in here, I think there's one particular message for you and I, those of you that would call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus, and that's it. And that's this, that we have to ask that we would make sure that we're seeing people the way Jesus sees people. Do you see people the way Jesus sees people? Do you see people as people who have a need for God, or do you see people as someone who can meet your need? Because I think we live in a world that has often a very utilitarian lens that we're tempted to have. That when I meet you or when I cross your path, my immediate thought is, can you meet a need in my life? Is there some need for friendship or relationship maybe you can meet? Is there some need for resource I have that maybe you can meet? Is there some need in my life, some role that you can play that can help me? Can you help me with a work connection? Can you help me network? Can you help me be a better person? Can you help me with some advice? Can you help me with a resource? Can you do something that I can't do? We look through the lens of my needs and how can you serve them? Instead of through the lens that Jesus looked through and every person has a need for God, a need to be connected with him. 
and the same opportunity through Jesus Christ. Do I see people as a Christian in that way? Do you see people as a Christian that way? Do you see every person that crosses your path as someone who needs God and has the opportunity to be connected with him through Jesus Christ and that you may be the bridge God is using for that? That maybe God put you in their life for this very particular reason, for this very particular person to be able to do that. Because they have a need and an opportunity through Jesus. And you're there to be that bridge. So I'm going to ask our music team to return. And as we close out, we're going to pray. I just ask you a question again. Where are you on the scale? Where are you in the scale? Where are you in this? I'll tell you it's dangerous to be on either side. If you're on the Pharisee side... You're on the side, maybe you're in here and you say, no, I've, I got it figured out. I'm good. You know, I've been in church, I've signed the paper, I've prayed the prayer, I've done the thing, you know, I'm good. I've, I've gone through all the classes. I, you know, I really don't need anything more from God. I would say that that's a dangerous place to be when you start to feel like you're an insider. When you start to feel like you don't need anything more from God, that I've got pretty much everything I need and God's given me, I don't, you know, I, I, there's no, no more places I can go with God, no more, nothing else I can receive from God. You know, God saved me, but now I've got to go and live my life for him. I would say that's a dangerous place to be because you're trying to, something that was born in God's spirit, you're trying to finish it out in your own strength. You, you're satisfied with where you are with God. I would say that it's a dangerous place to be because we should always be looking for more for God. So I was saying, God, I, there's more in me that has to die and more of you that needs to live in me. I need a resurrection. I need to be born again. No one's born into the church. Everyone comes in through faith in Jesus Christ. And I need more of him. And on the other side, I think that's a dangerous place to be too. Maybe you know you're an outsider, but you feel like, you know what? I mean, I know some people who know God and maybe that's enough because I'm so far outside, I'm so far gone that I can't even hope that God can touch or love me, love my life. I'm just hoping that maybe God will have mercy on me because I can't even hope to accept his offer. And if you're on this side, that, the reason that's dangerous is because what you're saying is Jesus didn't do enough for me. Jesus didn't do enough. The cross wasn't enough. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross, the Son of God on the cross wasn't enough. He's going to have to do more if I'm going to be made right with God. When you stay out there on the outside and you say, no, I can't go in. I'm too much of an outsider. There's too many things that are wrong with me for God to love me. And you're saying what Jesus did on the cross is not enough. But what he really offers is not affiliation. He offers the revelation of who he is. And he says, I am here. If you'll put your faith and your trust in God, he will forgive you. Not only that, he will give you this life that you're hoping to have. 
So I'm going to ask you to give you a second to close your eyes and bow your head just for you and God. Just to take a moment for you to spend some time with the Lord. I don't know what the rest of your week holds, but I'm sure it's busy. So just take a few minutes of sacred space with you and the Lord right now. No one else pulling on your time. No one else vying for your attention. No other voices in your head. Just you and God. Take a moment to take some sacred space and evaluate where you are. And let me talk first to the Christians. And if you're in here and you're a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Jesus, man of God, woman of God, let me just ask you, do you see people the way Jesus sees people? Do you see people as, as equal in their need for God and having an equal opportunity to receive God? Do you see and have compassion upon people who are lost without Him? Or do you put people in categories as soon as you meet them? This one's like this and that one's like that and this one's good for this and that one's good for that and, and they'll always be like this and they'll never be like that. Do you put people in buckets and categories in your mind or do you see everyone as a person who needs a relationship with God and has the opportunity to have one through Jesus Christ? And if you're in here this morning and you say, God, I need, I need you to change the way I look at people. God, I need you to change the way I see people. God, I need to see people with new eyes. I need to see them the way Jesus sees people. And if that's you, I just ask you to just lift your hand and let God know. Say, God, that's me. God, that's me. Just lift your hand and say, God, I need fresh eyes. God, give me fresh eyes today. God, help me to see people the way you want me to see them. Lord, that's me. Give me new vision. Help me to see them the way you see them. Help me to have compassion the way you have compassion. Help me to stop judging people as soon as I meet them and start seeing them and looking for opportunities to show you and share your love with them. Thank you. You can put your hands down. But maybe you're in here and you don't know God. Maybe you're in here and you've been trusting in your affiliations all your life. And I want to talk specifically to you because I know there's some people sitting in here that that's you. You've been trusting in your affiliations all your life. Someone you know knows God and you're hoping that's enough. Or sitting in a church and, and, and giving in the offering and you're hoping that's enough. Or listening to preachers or listening to worship music and, and you just assume that's enough. Stop trusting in your affiliations and respond to the revelation of God that if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you will receive eternal life. You'll be forgiven and made right with God. That it is that simple and it is that good. And if that's you here today, I'm just going to ask you to do the same thing I just asked these other people to do. If that's you, just lift your hand and say, God, that's me. Today I want to stop trusting in my affiliations. I want to stop trusting in, in other people's faith. And today I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I want to put my faith in Him as my Lord and my Savior of my life. And if that's you, just lift your hand. Just let God know, God, that's me today. God, that's me today. I want to put my faith and my trust in God. I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to stop trusting in other things. Thank you. Put your hand down. I just want to pray for you. Lord, I just pray for these who have lifted their hands today. God, I pray for these 
these, these few who have lifted their hands today at the second call that are saying, today I want to stop. This May 20th, 2018, I want to stop putting my trust in affiliations that God, I want you to know today that I am no longer going to put my trust in anything other than Jesus Christ, that I will come to him in faith, that I will live my life for him, that I will listen to him and follow him and my trust is in him alone. Lord, I pray for those that have lifted their hands that you would do what you said you would do, that when someone draws close to you, that you will draw close to them and that you will pull them close and that your Holy Spirit will come to live within them. Lord, bless them as they take this step today. Father, I pray for those in this room who are already Christians who who name the name of Jesus as Lord and yet we are not completely who we are supposed to be, who look through eyes of judgment rather than eyes of compassion and love. Lord, I pray that you give us new, new eyesight. Lord, help us to see people the way that Jesus see people, sees people. Lord, help us to be your church. And Father, to recognize that every person in front of us, no matter how big, how small, no matter how much they have or how little, has the same need and you have offered them the same opportunity for life through Jesus Christ. May we be the people who share and show this love with the world that we live in. In Christ's name, amen.